Hello and welcome to Study Plus. My name is Brian Weed, one of the assistant pastors here at Calvary Chapel. I'm here with Mike Foch. Hello, also assistant pastor here at Calvary Chapel. Together. Um, (laughs) And this is something new we're going to try. We're calling it, as I said, Study Plus. And so, as many of you know, Mike is teaching through the New Testament epistles right now on Wednesday nights here at Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia. He is up to 1 Corinthians just covered the first couple chapters and had an idea that we could maybe take this space in podcast world to discuss some of the issues that come up when you're working through scripture, especially in something like the epistles of Paul. And there are issues in the text that might not be the sort of thing we would hit in a main Wednesday night study. Like you'd said, you might not want to take the time necessarily in that venue for these topics, but that do have some worth for the church or for people in ministry or for people in general. And so tonight we're going to take one of those topics, or today I guess, depending on when you're listening to this, one of those topics, and we're going to hit it. Uh, so Mike, you want to give us a summary of the scripture here? We're looking at 1 Corinthians one seventeen mm-hmm. through the beginning of chapter 2, verse 5. Yeah, so the last two Wednesday nights, that's what we've covered through the second half of 1 Corinthians 1, through 1 Corinthians 2. And what Paul is talking about in that section is the foolishness of the message of the cross as opposed to the wisdom of the world, the philosophy of the world, the things that they might have been aware of and filled with in Corinth, particularly to the Jews and the Greeks, it being a stumbling block and foolishness. Then he shows how even in individuals in their lives. It's not the smartest, the most noble, the most mighty who respond to that message. There's even foolishness in the recipients. And then he goes on to show, even in his preaching, how he delivered it. He wasn't there in strength. He didn't use eloquence or human wisdom in the delivery of God's message of Christ and the cross. And how all those things were... God actually showing that he's not dependent on the wisdom of the world and that his wisdom is different. And then he closes chapter two, speaking about the need for the Holy Spirit to actually grasp and receive the wisdom of God in the natural man or the unsaved man not being able to do that. So, you know, we we thought this topic of relevance would be something to talk about. When we're teaching the word, we always want to focus on just what the word says and also what we believe the emphasis of the word is. So Paul was not writing those chapters and those sections there just to talk about relevance. So, But relevance becomes an application because it's something that's talked about in our society. So we wanted to kind of take the truths that were there. We're not going to spend a whole Wednesday night on it, but bring it up in kind of a, a side trail here yeah. in a study plus topic. Yeah, one of the great things about scripture, I think we can both appreciate, is that even the side topics, uh, I mean, there are side topics that are just nothing other than rabbit trails that yes. just lead yeah, you yeah. to weird places <laughs> on YouTube and stuff like that. But the legitimate side topics, even they have so much for us to, to glean and learn from, and they can be so deep. And so, yeah, you said it, Mike. T- today, this idea of relevance, and that's really a... Well, it's a modern word. I actually Google searched relevance, and I forget what the other word I used was, Christianity or something, but it pulled up an article from Christianity Today from 1963, (laughs) and the article was called Relevance, 
and it was it could have been written yesterday. Yeah. And it it made me realize this is not just a current idea. This is one of those recurring ideas that crops up in church circles every few years. Uh, and and even back then, so that was what sixty years ago. They're using this the exact word relevance, and the idea is this: these questions: Is the church relevant? Is our message relevant? Are our methods that we're using to promote the gospel relevant? And maybe you could sum it all up and say: Is what we're saying and doing actually meaningful and compelling and applicable to people? A lot of time you hear times you hear pastors and ministry leaders, Christian writers. You know, today you have content producers. People in those sorts of circles especially talk about relevance. Uh, There does seem to be a kind of fear that surfaces regularly among people who talk about Christian ministry. And as we were talking, Mike, I think we really boiled it down to it takes two forms usually, this concern about relevance. Mm -hmm. So just to break it down, number one is in the realm of church practice. So what happens there is that often... Church leaders get nervous, they get afraid that what I'll call the superficial aspects of church aren't relevant. So that could be our music, the way Christians look, the way our message kind of sounds, the words we use, or the technologies we use, all those things. You know, our practices aren't relevant to the culture. They're not going to connect with the culture. And the second area is church doctrine. And in the area of church doctrine, you find church leaders getting nervous, getting afraid, that our stance, usually it's our stance towards cultural hot-button issues, that those kinds of front-burner issues for the culture, that the church's stance will be out of step with the culture on those issues. That could be politics, uh, the issue of homosexuality comes up very often, obviously. And the idea there is our doctrine isn't relevant. So you have this idea that our, our church practices might not be relevant, and we worry about that sometimes, people in the church, or that our doctrine's not relevant. And so just by way of sort of getting us into how this fleshes out, the practical results of these kinds of worries, uh, so the, the results of worrying about relevance in church practice, as we were bouncing some of these things around, you have things like, Pastors working hard to be cool. I put that in scare quotes. No one can scare quotes. <laughs> Pastors working hard to be cool. Pastors trying to sound like corporate gurus or life coaches. Uh, you, or you think of things like the phenomenon of preachers and sneakers, not to give them too much press, but I guess that was an Instagram account, right? Yeah, I think the guy started as a joke, but then it exploded or Took something. Off, like yeah. a lot of jokes in America these days, right? And so pastors, you know, there's pictures of pastors wearing really expensive outfits, especially expensive sneakers. It's one of those things where he seems like he was making a point that whoever did this. Uh, or you have pastors trying to look like celebrities or sound like Oprah, that sort of a thing. One of the things that falls in this category, Mike, you had actually pointed this out to me. Um, even a pastor of the stature, like someone like Andy Stanley, uh, has made the rounds in different circles with lots of quotes worrying publicly about the relevance of the Bible itself. Sure. Should we, and, and here, it's it's the practice of should we be quoting the Bible specifically, he seems to worry about the relevance of the Old Testament. And he's making a plea, he has a quote where he, he encourages Christians and churches to unhitch themselves from the Old Testament, that's his word. And in another sort of famous deleted tweet, he, he basically says that Christianity doesn't, stand or fall on the accuracy or the reliability of the 66 ancient documents it's based on, but on a person, Jesus Christ. So there you have a guy worrying about the relevance of the church practice of relying on Scripture. And that shades over into the second area, the results of worrying about relevance uh, 
in terms of church doctrine. And the results there are, and we see this all the time, churches, whole denominations, shifting course, and walking away from basic biblical doctrines, basic Bible doctrines. And every few years, the lines change. You know, a few years ago, some of us remember, the pressure was in the realm of what people called science. And so churches were scrambling to try to be relevant in terms of how they talked about science, and they were trying new stances. And maybe we'll say that Genesis 1 through 3 isn't literal, that you don't have to believe it to be a Christian. That seems all very passe, and, and no one's really caring about that anymore. And now instead you have things like the Church of England's recent Living in Love and Faith document, where they're they're working very hard to position themselves in a way they see as relevant. I think they're using the language of relevance in terms of issues of sexual identity and that sort of thing. So there's pressure on both our practice and our message. How do we present the gospel and what is the gospel we are presenting? And both of these concerns boil down to a concern about relevance. And so we're just here on this podcast to say we think First Corinthians chapters 1 and 2 have a lot to say about this, yeah. this concern. And and we hope, you know, particularly if you're from Calvary Chapel of Philadelphia, who this is for, this is helpful for you as we think through this. And also, maybe you're wondering why our church does or doesn't do certain things. This will help you understand a little bit as to why took 40 years for us to build a coffee shop or something like that you know so Which we did in the end yeah. <laughs> it's on the back burner on the back burner so <laughs> eventually those things came around but no there's you know the the topics can sometimes seem very innocuous like we're just talking about it like these are little things and they don't make that big of a difference but what happens is what you believe about being relevant begins to filter into how you run everything. You see these things through a lens. So as Brian said, the, the easiest way for us to break it down is just we see church practices affected by what I believe about relevance or how important that is or what a priority it is for me. And then the same thing, the church doctrine becomes affected by the same. Yeah. Yep. And And... I think that this passage in 1 Corinthians is key for understanding it. I, I think I was thinking as, as we were opening up the show, Mike, some of some of these Study Plus episodes probably will be the sort of thing where the issue is right there in the passage, yeah. and everyone kind of knows it, and you read it, but we're just not going to spend a lot of time on it, and sure. we'll come back into the podcast. Some yeah. of them, though, the issue is kind of there, but I think in this one it's more, this is our issue and this is just a great passage where if you listen to Paul, you can hear how he, how he would address our concern. So I actually was thinking in terms of three sections uh, of this passage of Scripture and sort of a main takeaway as it applies to relevance from each section. So chapter 1, verse 17 through 25, as it applies to concerns about relevance, my little encapsulation was just, we shouldn't expect the gospel to make sense to a God-rejecting culture. Because Paul says right there, it's foolishness to them. So when it happens, when, when we're presenting the gospel, when we're serving Christ, when we're talking about the, the Lord or the Bible, and people think that it's dumb, or another way to say it would be, your message is irrelevant. It doesn't actually affect the problems that I'm facing. It doesn't address the issues of our day or something like that. Um, or when people think, you're just so uncool, like no one will listen to you. It doesn't mean we're messing up. It's, that's actually not necessarily our problem. Or maybe we could say from that passage, we can't judge ourselves by that particular reaction people might have to us. If people are like, that's dumb, 
we have it's not as though we've messed up necessarily in communicating the gospel. Right. And we were we were talking it's not that we're trying to be offensive later in this same letter, 1 Corinthians 10. Paul says that whether we eat or drink or whatever we should do, we do it all to the glory of God and give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God. He says, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. So a few chapters later in the letter, Paul's going to say, serving Jesus does not mean I'm offensive on purpose. We see Christians like that. We've seen street preachers or all different kinds of believers that seem to think they're supposed to they're supposed to present the gospel by offending people. That's not the issue that we're that we're saying or that we want to, you know, that's not the way we want to go. But we just can't judge ourselves by the reaction of people saying, I think that that what you're saying is dumb or I think it doesn't matter. You heard that a lot in the recent years with the kinds of issues that came to the fore, some of them medical, some of them social. And you heard in the public square when Christians would try to speak into it or say, oh, we're going to pray for the country, you heard people, and it's still going on, saying things like, what you're saying doesn't matter at all. You have nothing to say to this issue. Don't bring your religion here. Literally telling us your message is irrelevant. Um, And I just think we don't need to be unnerved by that if, well, we're going to get to this, but if we know that we really are presenting the gospel. Yeah, and... You know, I think even even practically, you sense some of that in the passage, right? Paul's talking about the Jews, where relevance was spiritual experience, exactly. and and Jesus was a stumbling block to them, right? And the Greeks, to them, relevance was their philosophy of life and different types of philosophies, and a man who dies, who comes as humble and then is resurrected again, is not relevant. And even in the culture, if you, if you just would have been a general person, and maybe there was something like this with the Corinthians, we don't know 100%, but the issues of sexuality, issues of slavery, issues of, um, you know, the, the false gods and the things offered to them, the practices in terms of worship to all these pagan deities, like those were probably the major things people were thinking about. And Paul doesn't make those his major message. So he his message, part of what he has to say is, I'm coming with a, a different type of message and a different type of wisdom because apparently there were some in the church and certainly plenty outside of the church who would see his practice as irrelevant. And I think even just for us as a church, in our culture, we know we just face tons of things that were all type of culturally like new pressures in terms of politics and what happened with COVID. And, you know, our typical practice is to just try to stay to the message of scripture. We're going through the next passage. We're trying to remain where the word of God is. And there can always be a pressure to, to surrender that for something that the culture around us, particularly the unsaved culture around us, thinks we need to talk about where Paul was going to hold on to the word of God and his truth and the central things in his message, no matter what kind of the outside culture, and even apparently part of the church was beginning to think might not have been the most important type of thing to address. Yeah, and it's it's so profound if you think about it, from this little passage as it applies to relevance, to sort of maybe encapsulate part of what you're saying, 
imagine like a situation where there's a town meeting to talk about some some something that's plaguing the town. Maybe there's a spate of robberies or you know some issue in the town. Imagine you go to that town meeting and you're like, I have really good news, everybody. Somebody died and rose again. They'd be like, okay, great. That doesn't really have anything to do with what we're talking about, sir. You, you can imagine so many areas where just on the face of it, the message of Jesus Christ crucified and risen again from the dead, even Jesus crucified for the sins of humanity and risen again from the dead, most people would see that as not connected to, to their issues. But as believers, we understand whatever the problem they're facing, even if they need a practical solution in the moment, like we would know that the solution to robberies in your town is the fact that Jesus was crucified for sin and risen again from the dead. As believers, that's like part of our calling is to, I guess, to say, to, not to change what we're saying to make it seem relevant. Oh, let's talk about stopping robberies. No, it's, it's to labor to help people see Really what we all need to do is repent of our sin because if we do, there's forgiveness because there's a king who died and rose again. He can forgive you. And then we'll all stop robbing each other or something like that, right? So um, the, so I have another takeaway from the next little section, chapter 1, verse 26 through 29, as it applies to concerns about relevance. And it's just that there, and you said this, Mike, we should be aware that God chooses people who seem foolish to the wise of the world. So we can't worry what that means about what influential people think. And I, I was just thinking as, as we're working through this, I don't know, maybe you could see a, a flaw in this thinking, but I, I think if I get concerned about relevance, I'm really concerned about what relevant people think, or really what I'm saying is influential people, the people who have status in the eyes of the world. That's really what I'm worrying about. Sure. A lot of the... Uh, when when people do certain ty- types of church practices, so again, the way we design our church or our stage or our worship or the type of message we're giving, the things we talk about or we don't talk about, and they, and they use relevance as a way to bring those things in and as a way to really justify them, what happens is, you're really aiming for a certain group of people. This is so important to see. Yeah. Because it, the whatever those things are, they don't really hit every group of people. So, you know, the the way I'm going to hit young hit people in New York is very different than the way I'm going to have to connect with the farmer out in Idaho or the older folk who have lived a certain longer life and I come into a church and they're mainly older folk in that church. How am I going to minister to them? I'm probably not going to get a really loud rock band and <laughs> throw them up on stage with, you know, 50 older people in a church and try to become relevant or chase them all out of the church. Yeah, you have the urban versus suburban versus rural divide. You have the age divide you mentioned. I mean, you'd think about what if, what if, you know, I live in a community that's primarily, you know, Vietnamese and Spanish speaking. Things are going to seem very different. What's quote unquote relevant necessarily to them. And one of the things I'm thinking as you're saying this, Mike, sometimes I guess we could watch ourselves and find out who we thought was relevant. Yes. By what we yeah, say is point. relevant. Yes. And that's kind of like, yikes. Yes. <laughs> because that could be a real window into my heart. And if I'm not careful, it can literally boil down to who do I think is cool or what kinds of people do I want to come to my church? I got to be really careful with what I say is relevant. And it's because it's so true. These these practices that fly under the banner of relevance, often they're actually 
very narrowly relevant to a very narrow uh, section of people around us. Yeah, and the so what Paul is saying is is the what what needs to be relevant is the message, and the message is typically relevant to people who aren't the coolest and richest and most powerful because they rely on themselves. So, you know, the reality is in America, we, we kind of do these things because we have the freedom to do them. And again, we don't believe everybody who does these things or acts in a certain way that we might see as dangerous in certain levels is doing it on purpose. Some of them are just ignorant. Some of them never thought about these things. Some of them, that's all they've ever been given. Uh, but we do think... Like when I travel to a place like Pakistan and there's Muslim people there, what I'm trying to do is give a message that I know most of them are not going to like or want to hear, but it's relevant because their salvation depends on it and they need to know what God says about himself. And sometimes that's almost clear, like, yeah, but that's what they do. But in America, we're literally doing the same thing. the same thing. We're coming to people who are unsaved, and the thing that's relevant is the message of Jesus Christ. And even when I come then to believers, I am not deciding the best way for them to hear things or what they need to hear. They need to hear God's testimony about himself. And that is the most relevant thing for them in the moment, whether I feel like it or not. Yeah, you were making me think that maybe another thing to see in all this is that there's a way to worry about relevance that really, again, would boil down to something like, let me find out what people who don't believe in Christ think is the most important thing going on, and let me do that and talk about that. But people who don't trust Christ don't know what the most important thing is. They have no way of gauging that, because if you leave out, this is what Paul's saying, if you leave out the central importance of the death and resurrection of Christ, then you, you you don't know what's important. So sure. we really can't pull our audience to find out what do you think is important? What will move you? And that's really the my main takeaway f- on the subject from that last little section, chapter 130 to chapter 2, verse 5. I think Paul's just saying, don't worry about relevance. Just present the message of the cross and trust in God to do his work. And it boils down to that. So your little breakdown, you said a few minutes ago, Mike, what we're trying to do versus what we're not doing. I think it's good. And so if we apply that to both of these areas, the area of church relevance in terms of church practice and relevance in terms of terms of church doctrine, uh, just to sort of throw this out there, in the area of church practice, if we worry about the relevance of our church practices, that's front burner issue for us. It's going to make us want to, the word I was thinking of is tinker with the packaging around the gospel to try to make it more appealing or acceptable. But And this is where you were going a second ago. Paul's example in 1 Corinthians instead, and really his example is life, leads us to not focus on tinkering with the packaging to make it more acceptable. You know, what shade of lighting should we have in the sanctuary? But, or something like that. But to focus on getting the message right, the message of the cross, trusting God's power, the middle section there, demonstration of the spirit and power, he says, and appreciating its results. And, and this is what you started to say. The results of getting the right message and trusting in God's power is often going to be a collection of weak people despised by the world. And we can include ourselves in that, right? Sure. Paul said, it's not that no one who's strong and respected will be saved, but he seems to indicate 
you can kind of expect that most of the people, or often anyway, a lot of people who are going to embrace this are the kind of people who don't traffic in status and power. So if those are the results of the message of the cross, a minister of the gospel needs to be ready to appreciate those results and not to try to curry favor with influential people. Because the gospel, this is telling us, is foolishness to influential people. So we're not going to spend too much time on that. I think the goal, what we're after here, and, and have been with the ministry, Pastor Joe, for since the early 80s, this he started this, we didn't, is to try to remove distractions. And that's really been a hallmark of, not to toot our horn, but Calvary Chapel from the beginning, to try to remove distractions. And that's not, that's not accidental. That's intentional. Remove distractions so that our methods or our techniques or our personal style, all the external things, become less of a focus. The, more, the less you have of them, the less people focus on them because we want the content that we present to be the focus. The message, as you were saying, Mike, is the focus. Yeah. Not the medium. There's that old statement, you know, the medium is the message. But we're going to say, no, we want the message to yeah. be the focus, <laughs> not the medium. <clears throat> yeah, there's – so, you know, on a negative side, there's obviously a dangerous point of relevance because some people want to be relevant for the wrong goals, which is creating favor with a certain crowd, as yeah. you mentioned. Also, just having a crowd, yes, so good point. so I can again engineer my church and what my church offers and the way my church looks to cater to a wider group of people or a, a group of people that will pay money. So I'm catering to the relevant uh, wealthy people or people who can offer me something. Or, you know, we see people cater to create their own brand and kingdom and business, seeking to be relevant to the type of thing that would blow up on Instagram or uh, TikTok or something like that. And unfortunately, like obviously all of those things have the wrong motive. I think there can be a guy who's out there who sees those things and and again, honestly believes, okay, I got to get the wider group in yeah, okay, yep. so that I can minister to them. But this is where the passage, particularly there in the beginning of two, becomes so important because what Paul says is, I if I do it the wrong way, if my method is wrong, then that person's faith is going to rest in not the power of God, but in the wisdom of men. So, like, if I'm making people connect to me or my message through my personality or through just the coolness of the building or the music or other things, in the end, that's how you connected with them. You didn't actually connect with them through the message, which is the thing that gives divine power in their life. So, Paul purposely didn't do certain things that would even be more relevant in Corinth because like speaking in the eloquence or wisdom of words because he knew that people would rest in that as opposed to the simplicity of the message that he was giving them. And I think we have just really tried to to make it about, as you said, the content. We, we don't want people connected to us based on our personalities or based on just, you know, how cool our place is or something. We really want people centrally coming for God and his word 
and to that be the connection and the health that's given. So our practice is going to look like something a little bit different. So certainly, you know, sometimes I, I think you would have to work to not be relevant. Like we're right, American. To literally be irrelevant. Yes. yes. We're, we're not going to communicate in a way that you can't communicate or, you know, sing worship songs that are going to hurt people or something like that, or they won't be able to sing with us. There's, or like, we're only going to do polka style. Yes. Like, yeah. so, so, I, you know, churches aren't falling apart because people who really want to be relevant don't know how. It's actually great. <laughs> like, that's not actually the real problem. The real problem is we use a fleshly type of relevance that connects people to the wrong thing. Instead of to God and his message and his power, it connects them to us. And that's kind of the Chuck Smith thing where he always says, you get it started that way, you have to keep it that way, right? Yeah. We get him in with the music or the coffee, we got to keep him in with the music or the coffee. And eventually those things always kind of wear out. So there's a danger there in that practice, even for the person who might, there's plenty who have wrong motives. There might be a person whose motive is right, but they just don't understand it. And that's where this passage is instructive because they have to realize, okay, essentially what happens is I have to rest in the Lordship of Jesus Christ to do what he wants with his own results. So he's told us the way to do things. And it's pretty easy who we're supposed to trust in and what we're supposed to trust in. And if I do it an opposite way, I'm essentially saying I don't trust Jesus to get it done his way, or like Paul says, for God to demonstrate it in his own power. And this is one of those passages where Paul is not only teaching profound truths, but he's really presenting himself as an example for us to follow in a powerful way. So right in line with what you just said, Mike, that passage towards the beginning of chapter 2, where he says, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but the demonstration of the Spirit and power. And this is what you just said, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What Paul says is, follow my example. I was willing to bank everything on the fact that the message of the gospel was powerful and that God would use it to do the work that needed to be done and to convert sinners. That means Paul had to really believe it. He goes into Corinth. They evidently did care a lot about what he's calling persuasive words of human wisdom. Oratory was probably very big there. It was almost like being a rock star. If you were a good orator, 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 you could hold a crowd. You could sell tickets, evidently, stuff like that. Yeah. And he was like, I decided not to do that. Um, you could think of 100 applications for that. But Paul's like, I, I, I trusted that the message was powerful you, know, you think about if, if you got stood up in front of a you know a packed room of a hundred people who were vehemently opposed to christianity they thought and they said okay you know that we're all you know think about the way people talk we are completely anti-evangelical christians but we're going to give you 10 minutes tell us whatever you want to tell us what would you say you know you think that you ask yourself that question and i you hope that the answer is I would stand there and I would tell them about repentance and faith in the crucified and risen Christ or something like that. Because if I get tempted to go, oh, well, you know, and like start to adjust and, and tailor what I'm saying to try to win the crowd of 
because I know why they're hostile towards Christians, then I'm falling afoul of what Paul's saying. But if I, if when the chips are down, you think, you know what? I need to talk about Christ crucified and risen and the forgiveness of sins. Then, then that's what he's, I think, exhorting us to. And that's a good test probably. Yeah, I think the whole ethos of just giving that word of God and that message, there's there's just an act of real trust there. Like, I believe God is yes. going to work. And if he doesn't, it is going to fall apart. So I think yep. it's scary for guys because, you know, you can rest on other things. But again, those things don't have the power. So if if I'm a preacher and I'm using props and, uh, you know, skits and these other types of things to try to make people enjoy the time or walk out with a memory or something like that or a snappy little phrase like those things don't carry the power of god like the the simple word of god does so i i have to really just trust god you're going to do it but but really we all have to do that anyway cuz cuz none of those other things even though they might hold the person or the attention they might be relevant to a person's body being in the sanctuary. They're not actually relevant to the person being saved or growing in grace and the knowledge of him. So that becomes the danger. I think Satan's no idiot. You know, he understands it's, it's better to have a preacher up there who is preaching non-relevant things to people who are now not going to grow through them but think they're being spiritual. You know, there's, there's a devious nature to it. And, and I think the, the enemy loves to encourage this type of thing because you end up kind of with the form without the power thereof. And we just want to we wanna do our best, and nobody does it perfectly, but we want to do our best to just be sincerely who we are but keep God in the forefront in terms of the message and the results. Like essentially we don't know what he wants to do with Calvary Chapel of Philadelphia. When Pastor Joe came out here and started a Bible study, he he was not aiming for a certain type of success or result. He was just aiming to be obedient to the Lord, and he trusted those things yeah. to Jesus Christ. While you were talking, uh, I hope this is good because I just thought of it a minute ago. I was thinking of um, Eve in the garden when it says she looked at the fruit and she saw that it was, uh, what is it, pleasant to the eyes, good for food, and desirable to make one wise. There's almost, you could say, like, there's the three archetypical relevances. Sure. It's beautiful, I need it, and it'll really get me where I want to go. And in other words, the fruit was, looked really relevant in every way to her. (laughs) But this, and this is what you're saying, though. There's a sense in which it was, because look how it looks, and it'll feed me, and it'll make me. But the core of it was death. What it really was was death presented in a relevant package. And so she should have been able to discern, like, all that doesn't matter. What matters is really what God's Word says about this thing. So in the area of doctrine, so that was all practice. If we worry about relevance in the area of doctrine, that's going to make us want to adjust our message. This is along the lines of what we were saying. To be now not just about adjusting our packaging, but adjusting the message itself in order to be more appealing to certain kinds of people. So again, to help guard against this, 1 Corinthians tells us to expect the message to sound foolish. But And this is what you were just saying, Mike. We don't need to worry about that since 
the message is the power of God to save people. Um, we know that we can't change the message or we'll lose the power. So again, instead, what we want to focus on, so what we're not going to do is worry about if our message sounds relevant. Instead, what we want to do is make sure we, we're presenting the actual real message of the gospel. That's where we want to put our energy. Am I hearing the Bible truth, truthfully, accurately, and, and am I, am I pro- proclaiming it clearly and accurately? And so we want to focus on getting the message right according to the scriptures, not on making the message sound acceptable according to the world. So our aim should be not necessarily relevance, I would say like trusting the power of culture or trusting our own ingenuity, but faithfulness, as we're saying, trusting the power of God. And and this is rampant in the church too. There's such pressure, especially on Christian leaders, to adjust the message. And it's, of course, it's never presented as adjusting the message. It's presented as being more faithful. It's presented as being more humble or as, as taking a posture of questioning rather than acting like we've answers. Or it's, it's presented as being more, more loving. But it always amounts to the necessity to actually change the message, the core of the message, to maintain relevance, which, again, goes right back to what we were just saying, where Paul just constantly says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to trust that the gospel is... Yes. Powerful thing. So this is, to me, this is the more devious part of it, right? Because I totally, like, everybody has to have some type of method. Like, there's a way we all present something. So, you know, to to go from uh, hymnals to words up on a screen, a digital hymnal, is a certain level of relevance. I play an acoustic guitar. On yes, an acoustic yeah. guitar. There's... And and maybe we would switch some of those things depending on who we were ministering to or whatnot. So everybody has to juggle that out somewhat. Now, we should still see what God says about it and we should trust him. But there's really not a place in the scripture <laughs> where I am allowed to adjust God's word, particularly as a teacher of God's word. Yes. So like God has a lot of really stern things to say for the individual who will stumble a child, according to what he says, or to the individual who will add to his word or or who will take away from his word. So when, when you begin to hear the word of God presented, or I think, like you said, adjusted in the name of relevance, as a believer, you're your spidey sense should go off. Like there should immediately be something there that's like, oh man, this is dangerous because the minute you take a position that you have any authority to adjust God's message, what Paul calls God's testimony about himself, not only do you leave the power, but you literally become an opponent of God's message. Which is what Satan did when he was adjusting that message that's, with that's a good way with Adam and Eve right in the, the beginning. Yeah, so this is this becomes very dangerous because Satan is always again trying to adjust the message. It's part of his warfare. He doesn't he doesn't just want to you know murder every believer. Sometimes being a martyr would be actually worse for him. A godly martyr would be worse for him than an ungodly pastor who keeps preaching. A message to people that think they're saved, but they're still unsaved. 
So he'd rather have you compromise, actually. Yeah, he, yeah, it right. goes better for him to just have you compromise than for you to be a, a hero, you know, or a saint. So I think there's a there's a real danger here, and we see this. This constantly comes up in one way or another. So you know, the topic of hell, yep. or you know, early in church history, the deity of Jesus Christ. Yeah, it was seemed like that was not a relevant message. Yes, it was all. There's there's always some part of the truth that has to be changed or adjusted because culture won't accept it so, as it is. So not to cut you off, you, you brought up the deity of Christ, and I'm sure you know this, there were other times in church history where the humanity of Christ, it was yeah, defensive. Yeah. It, we can't even conceive of this. The idea that God would take on human form, I mean, it's so hard for us to think about this, but there was a time when in some places that was culturally offensive. Sure. So there were Christians that adjust, started adjusting the message. No, 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 he didn't, he wasn't really incarnate. But Paul would be like, what? How did he get crucified then? Yes. Right, so. Yeah. Yeah, so you you see this, you know, per, particularly nowadays in our culture with with the trans or gay or homosexual, lesbian lifestyles, Literally, the Church of England admits our churches are dying out because our message is not acceptable to this group, or so they say. So, and in America, you hear the same types of things, or, you know, all morals have basically just become politics. So any moral issue, we just float in, and it's just like a political a political talking point. So the the reality of, let's say, things like, you know, abortion and that being a sin, that message is just now unacceptable. So your your options are you change the message. If you're not gonna give Christ up, you're you're either gonna have to change the message to make it more relatable to that group and acceptable, or you just don't speak the message at all, which is another way that people people are making it more relevant. Yeah, we just will literally avoid various topics so that we don't have to really get into them and essentially say what God says, which is why, again, we just want to stick to the scriptures. We want to go verse by verse. We don't want people just to believe us or take our word for what God says if God tarries, we're going to teach you the whole Bible multiple times. So, you know, I think there's, in the in the terms of methods, there's a way that you can, we're all trying to balance it and get it right. And an overemphasis becomes dangerous. Yeah, we, Mike, we, you and I both just listened to a clip of a brother who was teaching in the last year or so one of these passages that culturally would be sort of a flashpoint passage. People would be offended by it. He didn't. He didn't unteach the passage necessarily and say something the opposite of what it said, totally. But what he tried, he in other words, I, I was thinking this: this area of practice and doctrine can influence each other. He was trying to adjust his practice in terms of the way he spoke about it, and so he came from this very like he criticized the church, he affirmed the non-believer who might be offended by this passage, and he. He, he leaned really hard in his way of presenting to try to make it seem like there's nothing really too negative about this passage. But then when he, what I noticed, and I was, it was kind of shocked, when he actually talked about the passage, what he did was he focused on something in ancient Roman culture 
that really actually wasn't in the passage. And he preached against that sin. But that sin wasn't actually spoken of in the passage. And I'm sitting there listening to him going, why is he doing this? And I realized, oh, he's doing this because he's already set himself up in the terms of relevant practice by his, his tone to not be able to teach the passage. And it's pushing on his doctrine. His practice is starting to affect his, the actual content of his message. And I, I don't think I had ever seen that connection before. Oh, I need to be careful because if I adjust my practice so far, I'm going to end up, it's going to get tangled up in sure. even my doctrinal presentation. Yeah. Or I become a hypocrite. Or I become a hypocrite. You know, you're. It's almost the like I know Warren Wearsby would always say belief determines behavior in his commentaries, but it's almost the opposite, it can right? Go both ways. So, so one of the things that that is happening nowadays is you you almost can't really believe. You look at a church, you look at their doctrinal statements. It almost doesn't matter. You have to hear what they say and crazy? what they emphasize, and and like you said people just divorce the practice from the doctrine but you can't because you've become hypocritical so that's that's how the church of england is trying to get around these issues where they'll basically say we can bless same-sex marriages but we're not going to change our doctrine or and it's not just the church of england this is happening in the united methodist church this is happening just the church around the world right the battle is simply we're going to let God's message be God's message or we're not. We're going to try to change it. And it's in the name of relevance. It's always in the name of relevance where God wants certain things to be relevant, but not everything. And what God wants to be relevant is me seeing that I'm a sinner desperately in need of the message of the cross <laughs> and and his word as my utter total authority in life that I can rest on more than any philosophy or word of men. And if we begin to try to make anything else relevant than that, we're off. And whether someone's a church leader or they're just, not just, whether someone is just a church leader or they're an awesome Christian serving Jesus, right? Whatever our role is, if we you, you know we're right in the middle of where we should be when we feel the death and resurrection of Jesus as the most important thing. Because you're right, Mike. That is the most relevant message. We only People don't think it's relevant because they're blind. If I'm blind to my need, if I don't know I have cancer, I won't think chemotherapy is relevant. If I don't know I'm hungry, I won't think food is relevant. You just go down the list. If I don't know I have no money in my bank account, I won't think a job is relevant. If I don't know I'm I'm in danger of the judgment of God because of my sin. I won't think the cross of Christ is relevant. If I think that the issue is the government or or rich business people or social problems or ignorance or whatever, then I won't understand that the cross of Christ, and this is Paul's heart, I think, in this passage, it is the most relevant thing in the whole world. It's what everyone needs. The whole world needs the cross of Jesus yeah. Christ. And it's relevant as the foundation, because Paul's going to talk about other things. Sure. He's going to talk about all types of church practice, like you said, relating to people, being loving to them, sexual sin. Paul's going to talk about these other issues, but he knows if the right foundation is not laid, if the cross of Christ as the beginning point for all of us and the word of God as the foundation of that are not there, then none of the rest of it matters, because 
the whole building falls apart. It's just built upon sand at that point. And Satan knows that as well. So, you know, uh, I forget the quote exactly. Uh, um, I read it in the message, but um, Tozier had made a point that you can tell the, the spirituality of a message based on how enthusiastically unsaved people receive it. And his point was, oh, if, if an unsaved man loves this message, Paul says spiritual things are spiritually discerned, and <laughs> the unsaved awesome. man doesn't get them. So if the unsaved person is loving the message we're giving, there's actually something probably wrong about the message we're giving, because the true message of Christ either, like in the book of Acts, through the power of Holy Spirit, pierces men's hearts so that they say, what must we do to be saved? Or it makes them angry, and they consider it foolish and a stumbling block. They never love it anywhere. <laughs> Paul's, Paul was never liked by an unsaved city uh, and really thought of as a great guy. They either accept his message or literally try to beat him up or throw him in prison. And the reality is Jesus was largely the same way. People either were receiving his message and wanted to follow him, or they ended up really not liking him and being a part of the crowd that wanted to see him crucified. So I think for us as believers, it's important to recognize, you know what? If I'm aiming through the topic of relevance to have unsaved people enthusiastically receiving the thing I'm saying, something is off about my message. Because that's not what happens in the scripture. And you see it. You see it all the time. And even when the people who did enthusiastically receive, they always ended up becoming unliked by the people in their city. And how relevant is that for us as Christians in the day, in the place and time we're living in, as we begin to feel the arrows of animosity of our culture start to swing around and point towards us and many people are immediately assuming we must have done something wrong because we used to be we used to feel very positively received and now we're not so we must have erred somewhere maybe we're selfish maybe our tone's bad maybe we're too conservative whatever right all the things people say but as you said mike all you got to do is read the book of acts you never see the christians wringing their hands when they started a riot or people got mad or people didn't like them like what did we do wrong they they just because they knew that they were presenting the authentic gospel, they they didn't worry about that part. I'm not saying they liked it, but they it didn't create an existential crisis in them where they thought, well, we better start saying something different and change this message because it's just making people mad. And what's crazy is so many people assume that if a lot of people get mad, the gospel won't go forward. But if the book of Acts shows us anything, it's that the gospel not even goes forward despite riots and cultural animosity. Sometimes it's almost like, I don't even know how this works, but that's exactly the kind of environment that God spreads his word in. Like, God's not worried if Christianity is reviled. It's almost like he's like, ah, this is where I do my best work. Like, he'll win in the street fight, and he's just not worried if it breaks out, because I guess he's just able to handle himself. Yeah. So, <laughs> preach the gospel, you know? Yeah. You know, I just think, you, you think very often, too, like very just simple Bible questions. So we can take this for granted because, again, the Bible's our authority. And, you know, if you come to this church, that's how we try to think through things. Yeah. 
the Bible never gives relevance as a motive for church practice or godly living. It's, it's honestly not there. It also never warns us about being irrelevant because it doesn't have to because nobody's going to be actively irrelevant. You're, I don't know what would even be the motive behind doing that when you could be relevant and you're choosing not to. So uh, there's, there's really simple things like it never tells me to fear irrelevance or people not thinking that I am relevant. Like I'm supposed to fear God. I should fear him who could kill body and soul in hell. You know, I should worry about making the kingdom of God and his righteousness first in my life, not the clothes I wear. There are things I'm supposed to worry about, not worry about. I'm not called to worry about that. And we just get in these positions where believers start worrying about things and having things as motives that the Bible actually never gives to us. And it just means we're one step at least off the track. Yeah, there should be not arrogance, but a real settled, peaceful, joyful confidence that, oh, I don't know if this story is relevant. I was thinking, uh, I was talking to, a, he was a contractor one time and he had gone to Lowe's to look for something and he had he had seen it in the back on the racks and he went to the guy and said, I need you to pull down with some pipe. I need you to pull down those lengths of six inch pipe. And the guy goes, no, we don't have any. And he goes, yes, you do. And he, and he goes, he goes, no, no, yes, you do. I'll show you where it is. And I was just thinking, like, without being arrogant, almost the vibe of a Christian when people say, like, we don't need that. That's not irrelevant. It's like, yes, you do. I know you do. I know, I know it's in there. And not that I'm going to say that all the time or that's always going to be, again, my vibe. But personally, we should be really settled in the power of the message of the cross to do do God's work in the world, no matter what the cultural situation is. And we shouldn't worry too much if it seems like people are feeling like they're antagonistic towards the gospel. Not that we want that to happen or we like it, but it shouldn't make, it shouldn't throw us into crises as a church, as individuals. And uh, I think we lament the fact that it seems many churches do succumb to the temptation to be thrown into crises by the animosity they feel all around us. No, none of us like animosity, but the Bible's pretty clear that we should expect it. Yeah. Yeah. And so we hope, you know, certainly this discussion was relevant on it <laughs> yes. because we think the truths that are laid out in First Corinthians chapter one and two there, they're godly principles for us and they're there on purpose. And in every culture, they're going to have their own kind of form and for us, they have pretty clear forms in our day and age. And simply as a church, we're not going to define our church practice and most certainly not our church doctrine by what an unsaved world thinks will be most relevant. We want to remain faithful to what God says is most relevant. Yep. Amen. So that does it for the inaugural episode of Study Plus. Lord willing, we'll see you next time seems like there is something relevant to this time. <laughs>